Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Direct Mail Automation School, the podcast for marketers who are looking for an edge as they deploy direct mail and omni-channel marketing campaigns. I'm Dennis Kelly, CEO of Postalytics, the leading direct mail automation platform designed for marketers to deploy automated direct mail and omni-channel marketing campaigns with the speed, integration, and analytics of digital marketing. Today, our guest is Brian Snyder, from GRI Marketing Group. Uh, Brian is the president of GRI. Uh, they're a direct and digital marketing agency delivering responsive, integrated marketing across lots of different media. Uh, they incorporate uh, strategic planning, strategic execution, campaigns spanning offline, online, and out-of-home channels. Uh, they have over 35 years in the field and they've yielded significant results for clients, including publishers, finance, professional services, IT, and more. Welcome, Brian. We're psyched to have you on today. Oh, thanks a lot for having me, Dennis. My pleasure. Excellent. Uh, to, to get started, why don't we talk about, you know, how you got to this place in your career? We love hearing the backstory, you know, how did Brian Snyder end up uh, as president of GRI Group? Uh, you know, what, what did your career look like and, and how did you get to this point? Well, I started out in the Fortune 500 world, Dennis. I, I was in uh, telecommunications sales. I was a major account representative handling enterprise uh, deals for some large clients in Fairfield County and Westchester County. And I was doing well, going through the corporate ranks, and then um, started working for a small electronic mail company before electronic mail was around, before the internet was around. So you can imagine how hard that was to try and sell something that nobody knew anything about. So I had to give a little education there. And, um, you know, did that for a year or so and then um, realized the company was just way ahead of its time and they needed to make money quick. So they started making money um, doing like uh, laser letters, as they called it, you know, one, two color laser letters for collections, for publishers, to uh, for renewals, for acquisition. And um, so I did that and helped them grow some revenue that way. And then all of a sudden I realized, you know, the world of this is direct mail. It's a lot more involved than one color, two color laser letters. There's so many things and bells and whistles. And then it dawned on me, what do I need to work for these guys for? I could do this myself. I, I went out and forged relationships with, with letter shops and printers and card manufacturers and all that. I went to business form school because back then, you know, to learn how to, uh, to do all that, you really needed a good knowledge of the paper and, and the processes and things like that. And um, and then I just started going out there and showing different ideas and formats. Back then, the big key thing was a snap pack. You know, you, you tear the thing off the side and pull out the piece. And people are like, wow, you know how to do that? And, and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, because it was business forms related type of stuff. So I went around and pitched that to a lot of publishers, some of the really big guys out there that uh, most everyone's heard of. And um it worked. Uh, you know, the stuff was going like gangbusters and people were ordering millions and millions. And the next thing I knew, I had a nice business going there. And and then I realized, um, you know, I'm not a direct mail broker. I, I'm an agency. So that, that I changed my thought process and it started focusing more on creative services along with with the mail. And uh, things just start taking off from there. And um, so we, we, we probably ended up working with about 100 different publishers 
from you know the Wall Street Journal, the Time, to Forbes, to For you know, on and on and on. And the packages won, and it wasn't just snap packs; it was everything. And um, we uh, we grew, hired a bunch of people, and um, then we started branching out into other verticals. Uh, insurance is another major one that we work with now. Um, professional services, higher ed, and you know, similar technology, similar. Uh, thought processes with all that, but you know the verticals. Obviously, you have to understand them and learn them, especially something like insurance. It's highly regulated, but we learned it and we applied our methodology to all of that, and uh, it works. Oh, that's great! Here we that's are, thirty-seven great. years later. <laughs> <laughs> thirty-seven years later, you've got your own agency, uh, GRI, uh, and uh, I, I, one thing that I learned. Uh, Recently, I, I wasn't aware that GRI stands for Greater Return on Investment, uh, which I think is an awesome name for an agency. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, so this podcast is about omni-channel marketing. And, and so given that your company's name is Greater Return on Investment, how do you think about how omni-channel marketing actually impacts return on investment? And, you know, with that in mind, what type of strategies do you bring to the table when you're talking to your clients about uh, the return on investment and, and omni-channel campaigns? Well, omni-channel um, in today's world is almost mandatory. I mean, you you don't know where your clients are fishing, so you want to be able to go and, and and reach them and touch them where they're fishing. So whether they're on their phone, whether you know they're surfing the web, are they? Are they checking their email? Are they on a website? Um, are they home? Get a piece of mail, um, a phone call. You, you just don't know. So you you want to be smart about it and hit them where they are, and hit them with the right relevant type of message. So that that's where you know starting with the methodology there. Uh, when we start with a client, first of all, we look at who who are they trying to reach? Who's their target market? Um, and what what channels are they doing today? Are they just doing digital, are they doing mail, are the reasons why, yes, no, or whatever, are they afraid of one thing or they don't know another? There's a, there's, so we, we kind of analyze all that. And then we take a look at, at their data, which is extremely important. What do they have already in-house that we could utilize? And then we want to take that data and model it and go after like-minded folks that are the best customers. And then we put together the, the uh, media plan and the strategy of, okay, now let's figure out, we know who we want to hit, Let's find out where they are and let's uh, build the relevant touches um, to achieve those objectives. Cool, cool. And and you find that by taking that approach, that omni-channel approach, you're able to get better results than if you are kind of narrowly focused on one or two oh, channels. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if you just do a one-off email campaign, you're only going to get so much. So if you take that email campaign and you and you surround it, you know, with a couple of digital touches prior to that, maybe uh, uh, some social media ad spend, match the addresses there. Maybe you want to, and then also put a mail piece in there. That's the way to go. I mean, normally what we like to do is we like to get the low-hanging fruit first, the cheapest way. So what is that? Obviously, well, let's email them. You know, get get a lot of people from email as fast as, as much as we can. And then the real sticklers, and we, then we, you know, get them with the, with the mail piece because they're a little harder to get. But definitely, uh, the results are much different from an omni-channel, multi-channel approach than a single channel. Absolutely. Yeah, we see the exact same thing. And uh, you know, one of the things that we 
will often tell our clients when they're getting started is uh, look at your email and, and let's start zeroing in from a direct mail perspective on the people that aren't open your email. You know, like you said, low hanging fruit. Uh, it's, my point. Get, get the low hanging fruit first. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you mentioned data and, you know, one of the other things that, that we really try to zero in on uh, with our clients and we talk about a lot in this podcast is, is about how to use data to segment and personalize. Um, you know, you, you, you said right up front, you know, you will look at the data assets that your clients have. How will you kind of work with those assets, maybe find other data sources to really drill in and, and narrow those segments down and, and really personalize those touches? Well, uh, for, we, we first of all want to look at how their data is structured. Uh, you know, what how, what information do they have about about their clients or prospects? And then again, it depends. Are we doing? Are we touching their internal database? Are we touching their their clients and cross selling them or upselling them? Or are we doing a prospect mailing where you know we everything's cold? We don't know all that much about them other than what's publicly available. So, you know, it's different for each program whether it's a in-house or whether it's an external type of thing. So I, mean, I can give you a couple of examples. Um, so uh, with one one large client that we have, they're an insurance carrier and we work with their uh, affinity group. And um, so we, we've done uh, some very cool stuff with them. Um, we we uh, have data on the years of membership and depending on how long they've been a member for the for this association, they get a very specific offer. So that's all dynamically printed or it's printed on the mail piece dynamically and also on the email as well. So we, we have some good, really good results with that sort of thing. Um, another situation um, that we have, and we did this with email and we also did this with direct mail, which was really cool, was for a university um, that had four different campuses. So this was a donor application we're soliciting for fundraising. And so what we did is we, we had uh, different variables we had the graphics of the specific campus. We had graphics and pictures of people in the specific major we were going after. And then we also had success stories from the alumni in those specific areas or specific majors. So we had the emails and the direct mail were all dynamically personalized with all those four variables. So it was highly, highly personalized to that person. So if they were at the say the, you know, the uh, Newport, Rhode Island campus, they're going to see pictures of the campus and have a little nostalgia. If they're a uh, business major, they're going to see, you know, people in, in a business class. And then they're also going to have an alumni story from a business major. So being able to have that data um, in the data set was very helpful. And it's it cool, too, because you had not only you had graphics, but you had text as well. And it was all dynamically imaged on the direct mail piece and it was also on the email as well. And the result was also one of their most successful campaigns they ever had too. That's great. That's great. Taking advantage of that, uh, of that ability to uh, use data to drive the creative and in, in, in doing more than just saying hello, first name, right? It's, it's so much more powerful when you can drive uh, like you said, graphics or unique offers uh, that are based on yeah, exactly. you know the segment, and and you can get so much better results by really narrowing 
the calls to action and, and the entire experience around those segments. Absolutely. Cool. Well, you know, and, and that really sort of leads into a uh, discussion around technology. Um, you know, uh, we at Postalytics obviously are, are big believers uh, that automated direct mail can really play a pivotal role in successful campaigns. Uh, you know, at GRI, you've had a chance to work with direct mail automation. Uh, what do you see as the strengths of automation in the direct mail process? And, and what are the weaknesses sort of relative to more traditional or legacy-based direct mail kind of processes? Um, well, the strengths of automation and direct mail, um, number one is the speed to market. I, you know, there's nothing out there like it where you input the data into the system and bam, a mail piece is out the door in a day or two. That's unheard of. I mean, it's, it's, it's un unbelievable. So the speed to market, getting your offer in a timely manner is just on there. There is no rival to that. Um, the ease of use, once you set it up, it goes on automation. Doesn't get any easier than that, which is unbelievable. And then also the the, uh, the dynamic personalization capability, um, being able to program in graphics and text and and all of that, and and be able to program that in and do that again. It's it's just a phenomenal phenomenal um, thing. As far as the weaknesses um, relative to the uh, direct mail processes. The only weaknesses I see right now, Dennis, are um, you're a little bit limited in the formats. So there's only so much you can do format-wise. You know, you can do a, a letter, an envelope. Um, you know, I don't know how big the letters or whatever with perfs, things like that. BREs maybe you can add, but, um, you know, you, you're limited with the number of formats, the sizes. Um, so that's one thing, you know, you can't tip a card or a label on there or other fancy things like that. But again, those are big, bigger direct mail jobs. So it is, it is kind of what it is. But, um, the other thing is, uh, you know, probably on a large scale, if I'm doing se a several million piece mailing or whatever, you're not going to be able to compete on pricing when you're going to a large web house, it's, you know, cranking those things out you know, pieces per second. So that's, a, that's a other thing. But again, it's a, it's not meant to that, but, um, you know, there, there's definitely a, a tremendous need for the automation. I, I see, uh, once people are become more aware of it, um, it's phenomenal. I, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the retargeting aspects, which I think again, is a, is a, is a phenomenal thing that people just don't know about where if somebody hits a website, we're able to match addresses, at least uh, almost half of them and send them a postcard or a letter, which is unbelievable to be able to do that. So um, I, I think that's going to be a big, big trend in the digital world once people are aware of it. And um, we're happy to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I, you know, I think, uh, we see the same thing with our clients where, uh, you know, the, the, the big driver toward using Postalytics or other direct mail automation tools is really, hey, I got a use case where I need speed, right? And I need to get it out and, and I need it to go quickly. I need it to be uh, just set up and go. Uh, and I don't have time to go line up, you know, printers and negotiate deals and, and spend a lot of time talking about this stuff. It's, it's just got to run. And, uh, and, and, 
And as you said, the downside of that is, well, hey, I can't go construct something from scratch and and use you know any type of format at any time because it's got to follow along a fairly templated approach. Um, and you know, over time, what we're doing is we're adding more formats uh, as we grow our business. We have more steady volume that we can feed our print partners, and and so. You know, we're continuing to grow that template list of different types of formats, but it's it's not I can do anything at any time like you can with a more kind of a, a traditional uh, direct mail process. Um, right. So, uh, you know, you touched earlier on the insurance industry, and I know that that's uh, been a key vertical uh, industry for you at GRI. Uh, and, and it also happens to be an industry that uh, is very reliant on direct mail. And we're just talking about how automation really enables some new uses, new use cases, really, of direct mail. Uh, so in the insurance industry, uh, what are some of the things that, that some of the ways that automation can be deployed uh, that can be, you know, new things in the insurance industry that maybe haven't been really uh, uh, dealt with before or, or tackled? I see a couple of areas. Um, number one, uh, to be able to integrate your service into, uh, you know, the, their CRM systems, whether it's HubSpot or whatever they're, whatever they're using and, and to be able to touch them with certain triggers, being able, again, using their data to know, you know, if somebody has a life insurance policy, maybe I need to, send them a, a, an offer for a home insurance and bundle it. Um, if, you know, so, you know, being able to cross sell is, is very important. You'd be able to bang that out with automation and also two other areas, you know, you want to retain your customers. So, you know, you need to send out uh, t certain touch points for certain milestones. Is it their one year anniversary? Is it their birthday? There's some nice touches you can do there to help in retention. Is it time to renew their policy? Let them know ahead of time. So there, these are different types of things that can auto, can be uh, implemented right within their CRM and just makes the agent's life so much more productive and so much more effective. The other area is on the prospecting side of things is, again, when people are visiting their websites, depending on what pages they're seeing, you can, you can send them a, a letter. You could send them a, a postcard, um, again, to uh, tr try and bring them back in. Again, another touch point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, this ability, as you're saying, to tap into the CRM and the marketing automation tools and, and internal data sources um, to drive direct mail is is really new, uh, particularly in uh, industries like insurance uh, that, you know, they're not moving as quickly as, you know, a tech company. Uh, and, but they have been investing in these tools. They've been investing heavily in Salesforce and HubSpot and all sorts of other uh, tools. And they're, and they're gathering a ton of data there that can be used in direct mail. A lot of times marketers think about a channel and they think about the way that the data source has traditionally been used. Where in direct mail, it's you know, often a, an acquisition you know, lead generation campaign where they're renting a list from the third party. Um, but like you're saying, now we can tap into data that's already owned by the insurance company 
or by the agency and then use that data to you know touch customers at very specific times in that customer lifecycle and not have to worry about batching up big numbers in order to make it economical. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're really excited about that insurance use case. We got a lot of customers that are, are starting to roll in in the insurance industry. It just makes sense. I mean, you know, the, these guys are busy and you talk about, hey, you want to do a mailing? And they're like, a mailing? Oh, my God, I got a printer, letter shop, creative, this, that. Yeah, so it's a headache, all those different touch points and things they have to do. And and they're not aware that, you know, with a, they can automate this thing very quickly and um, and make it make it so much more effective for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, with a name like uh, GRI, Greater Return on Investment, uh, it, I think it's right in line with the way that the marketing world has really shifted in the last 10 or 15 years toward more performance-based marketing. Um, but at the same time, uh, brand and brand identity is still a huge component uh, of the value of any organization. And so, you know, when you're talking to clients, there's this sort of natural tension that exists between performance and brand a lot of times. Uh, but when you're talking to clients, how do you help them balance their investments uh, in those two kind of competing factions and, and can he really kind of serve both at the same time? Or, you know, how do you think about that distinction? Well, it depends on what level you're talking about of brand, delivering somebody's brand. I mean, there's, they always have to be utilizing, uh, you know, their, their brand experiences from every single touch point, whether it's part of a campaign whether, you know, the person that answers the phone at every, every step of the way, there's an interaction with a the customer, they're delivering their brand experience. So that's one, one thing. And, um, you know, as far as on our end, campaign management and things like that, you know, we, we work very hard to make sure they're, uh, well, now you have your brand identity, you know, your logo, your tone, how's the thing supposed to look? Is it business-like? Is it this, that? So, you know, we're, 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 you know, very strict stewards of a client's brand. Uh, a lot of them give us their brand guidelines as far as the creative is all concerned again. But, you know, again, the, uh, you know, how much, you know, investing in their, in their brand. Well, uh, you know, I think that the, it's important they're, they're investing in, in their day-to-day -day brand experience. That's something that's kind of out of our control, but in the communications area, um, it's extremely important. Um, you know, we, we run in situations where, um, somebody says, well, you know, here's our brand and you look at it and it's got all these bright colors and pictures and this and that and whatever. And they want you to do a serious direct mail campaign. Um, and you look at it and, and um, this is a, we've had it. We've had situations with very large companies where they've come to us and they've said, you know, this is our brand identity. But it doesn't, when you go, if you adapt it to direct mail, it's not, it doesn't, it hasn't worked for us because for whatever reason, you know, all the different colors and this and that. So, you know, you got to tone it down a little bit, you know, maybe you just do one color, not two or three of these colors are as bright, you know, um, maybe we don't use some photographs or whatever. So, um, you know, we, we've, it's been interesting. There have been situations where, you know, 
clients have had winning direct mail packages with no real branding other than a logo. And then they ask us, they say, okay, now we want you to really, you know, design with our brand in mind with all these different shadings and, and colors and photographs and stuff like that. So we do the best we can to, to try and deliver that, you know, but being cognizant that um, you're still trying to get a conversion here. And, and you don't want to distract people with too much. So it's a delicate balance sometimes. Um, but, you know, you, 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 the, at the end of the day, you, you, you got to be cognizant of what the client wants. And you want to make sure their their brand is delivered in a, in a very professional manner. And at the end of the day, though, you still have to have that ROI and, and get those conversions too. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no question. Uh, and, and so... I think that uh, omni-channel campaigns are a a great avenue to, you know, get those conversions, generate leads, but also leave people with a positive uh, brand uh, uh, impact. And and when you're when you're using personalization and, and you're speaking to somebody about something that's very relevant to them, uh, then you know you naturally think, well, this organization has their act together. You know, they're they're talking to me about something that matters to me and they're not just sending me things that are, I'm just going to throw away. So, you know, I think it all goes into that too, right? All, all of these elements we talked about is the timing and the segmentation, the personalization that has a, a big impact on the way that recipients, whether it's email or direct mail or digital, whatever the case may be, that's that it impacts the, their perception of that brand. Uh, so oh, I, I, I do think it works all together that way. Well, absolutely. You have to, it has to be extremely professional in the way it looks and professional in, in any of the personalization that you're doing. I mean, God forbid you, you know, I, I've seen some personalizations where they, I don't, they didn't spell my name right. They called me Bruce, not Brian. I mean, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Snyder? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you, you know, if, you got to make sure the data is accurate, too, and uh, and some doozies out there. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, everything you do when you when you communicate to somebody, it's all about you're, you're delivering their brand experience. So you have to be extremely cognizant of that. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, wrapping up here, Brian, I uh, really appreciate you coming on board today. Uh, uh, talking about your experiences at GRI Group and uh, kind of your views on how things are evolving in some of these specific cases. Uh, you know, if our customers wanted to uh, get in touch, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out and 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 talk to you at GRI Group? Uh, probably the easiest way to remember is just to go to our website and you know, look uh, look up. Uh, it's uh, GRI Direct. Dot com, or if you Google the GRI Marketing Group, will come right up. Or if you want, you could send me an email directly. I'm happy to uh, respond. It's B Snyder. It's B S N I D E R at GRIdirect.com. Either way, I'll get back to you. Excellent, excellent. So that's Brian Snyder, GRI Marketing Group. That's GRIdirect.com. Uh, reach out to Brian and his team. Uh, they're a great agency. They can they can help you out. Uh, and uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us today for another great episode of Direct Mail Automation School. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon.